there is generally there is no benefit offshore structures holding UK property. So that that will blow that myth hopefully out the window. There might be some rare circumstances it does work, but generally it doesn't work. Hello, this is Dr. Rowe, and you're listening to the Growth Tribes podcast with Dr. Rowe and Harms. This is the podcast where two completely different generations tackle the most challenging topics that people are facing today. Above all else, the main reason that we chose to develop and record these podcasts is because we both have a passion for helping people go through life transformation, for improving their lives, for taking their lives to a completely different level. And it's our hope, our genuine sincere hope, that by the end of each of these episodes, you'll have gained at least one insight that you can take away and apply directly into your own life. Practical tools, voices that come in from both generations, the younger generation with tips and tools and the older generation with a sense of wisdom and experience so that you can help unlock your true potential to give the opportunity to make changes both on a personal, professional, financial and relationship level and to give you a chance to impact both your lives and the lives of other people around you. So we welcome you. Welcome to the Growth Tribes podcast. Hello, it's Hans here and welcome to another episode of the Growth Tribes podcast. Now, we've got an interesting one today. I can put it that way. So this subject has been coming up a lot more in general conversation recently, and it's possibly maybe due to the heightened awareness around the situation of COVID-19, coronavirus, however you would like to, however it's referenced in your world at the moment. And that subject in particular that is being spoken about is estate planning and wills. Now, the reality is it's a difficult time and the default is often to act as if no matter what happens, everything will be okay and exactly how we planned and expected. But that's not always the case. And that is the the fact and the reality. But to help us actually start the conversation on the realities out there, around our current situation and what you can do proactively in order to better prepare for the worst case scenarios. We have a very special guest in today's episode who will help myself and Ro, Ro and I with what can often be described as actually a very difficult conversation, which is the subject of estate planning, preparing for death, dealing with life events and much, much more. So thank you in advance to Anton Lane, our special guest who is helping us and our listeners understand this topic better. So hi, Ro, and over to you. Thanks, Harms. Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening again on the podcast. We're getting some great feedback. And this is a subject that I know Harminder and I feel very strongly about, and I'm super, super excited. Anton maybe not be aware of this, but we've basically been doing all of the podcasts between myself and uh, Harminder over the, the last months. Except, it's nice to have somebody else. Exactly. Except <laughs> just recently we launched with Dr. Robert Verkirk and uh, Mel, who came on to talk about uh, immunology and just what's happening in our bodies through COVID-19 when we were choosing very carefully who we brought on. And 
bringing somebody in as a guest onto the podcast is really important for us. And I've known Anton for 10 to 15 years, and I can't think of a better person right now to tackle this subject. He is hugely respected in the United Kingdom. He has international clients for those of you that are listening to us from overseas. And I know we do have overseas listeners and has got a phenomenal background. So Anton, first of all, let me say a hi to you and thank you for joining us. Hi, Rohan. Thanks for asking me. Um, it's not a subject necessarily that is one that's hugely dynamic. And I know it's difficult for you because you t tackle this subject in a very smart way, but also an elegant way. And I, I say that genuinely. I've, I've known Anton for so many years. And it's this is a subject that is so sensitive to families that you need someone that has that level of sensitivity, but also the aptitude and the awareness of how to manage that in a family dynamic but also on a professional level, for those of you that are listening to this and your business owners, the mistakes I've seen people make, and I actually fell into this trap, and Anton was kind enough to sit with myself and my mother many, many years ago, because often if you start a business, you're enthusiastic, you're passionate. For me, it was both business and property investing, and you crack on without any thought of future planning, because all you want to do is just get the business going. And uh, he has this amazing ability to stay calm in a storm when people are feeling quite stressed or unsure about things and guide us. So I'm, I'm really blessed that you're with us. And I'm excited about this conversation that we're going to be having today, Anton. Let me just introduce you, though, so that we can give people a chance to understand a bit about your background. So I'll do a bit of a brief intro and then maybe we could open up for you to give us a bit of a journey through you know, how you got to where you got to. Sure. Uh, so Anton's uh, a chartered tax advisor, for those of you that are listening, who's got something like two decades of experience handling contentious tax disclosure, which is not an easy subject, uh, cases of suspected serious fraud. And uh, for those of you that are listening that may have large businesses, have high net worth, he's worked with a lot of high net worth families and professional property investors for the property investors that are listening as well. And whilst Anton is predominantly a professional advisor, he has extensive first-hand experience in the UK property investments, development and international overseas investments as well. He's sat on the board of many listed international property funds, which is not easy to get into. You've got to be highly respected to even be placed on a board there. But he's also sat on the board of UK listed company and provides non-executive director support to a handful of promising businesses, i.e. people that are starting up or are expanding rapidly. And I think that's an area that a lot of people tend not to do the planning at. They tend to put it in retrospectively. And I know uh, you'll hear this from Anton today, that that early preparation is important. So, look, Anton, enough from us. Thank you so much for coming in. Do you mind just, and I know it's not easy because most people just want to get into the subject, but talk to us, so because I know you very well. Um, Harminder knows you through me. But can you talk us through your journey and a little bit of how you got to where you've got to so people understand the depth and your history? And uh, he has got a few more grey hairs than when I first met him as well. <laughs> Over to you, Anton Lane. <laughs> I, I may have more grey hairs, but at least I've still got hair. <laughs> um, yeah, all right. Touche. You got me there. <laughs> oh, God, my journey started um, by, by accident. Um, I wanted to do economics at university and I started in London but then transferred to um, Southampton and ended up doing um, taxation and revenue law just because I wanted to go to um, a university near my friends and I, I never intended to do revenue law but and I was going to change but the course was sponsored by Ernst and Young and I ended up winning um, some awards at, at university sort of best final year student best dissertation and highest degree and Ernst and, Ernst and Young offered me a job, which in, you know, looking back on it, I remember getting the invite through and I was working at um, motorway service station. I got the 
confirmation through that I got this job and I, I just sort of walked out of the motorway services thinking my my career's my career's now made and uh, I spent I spent the first few months working in employer solutions so I got a lot of experience with um, businesses dealing with employment issues yeah. at Ernst and Young and then um, I got asked to join the tax investigations department and go up to London so I, I moved up to London office in Southampton um, within three weeks and ended up uh, working in their private client services on tax investigations, but also with a partner, a really respected partner of Ernst Young called Richard Reese Pulley, who dealt with all the high net worth individuals and uh, sports person, high profile clients. So I was in the thick of it doing tax investigation work on um, some very well-known performance artists uh, with international tax problems and then doing some planning for them. And it was a fantastic experience, but I spent quite a few years in London and then um, moved to the Bristol office thinking that I'd be close back to my family. I wanted to get out of London where it was um, a sort of a dog eat dog. Um, actually, the honest truth is I had London waiting salary and I could move to the West Country and have that salary still in the West Country. So it was really, <laughs> really good from an economic point of view. Yeah, sure. And in Bristol. Just, just, just a question for you. So at that point, what was your growing passion in this subject? Was there anything specific that was pulling you? <sighs> I just, I just absolutely loved the uh, challenges. So I love the fact that whilst people go, God, tax must be really boring. Every client has a different set of circumstances that right. fit differently into the legislation and into law generally. So you, you're always facing really interesting challenges for clients. And as I say, when I got to Bristol, I went on secondment to a large uh, telecommunications company in. Newbury for seven months and then decided that uh, I wanted to change from the big the big firms which is when Price Waterhouse's Cooper's trust arm um, so PW's trust arm was um, separating from Price Waterhouse and they were looking to set up a tax department in in the UK so myself and uh, another respected tax professional set up this department. I then did financial services qualifications. So if you look at it from an experience point of view, I was getting involved in offshore structuring. Nice. Um, I've been involved in already UK already. And then I was doing, did my uh, financial services qualifications and helped set up a financial services team in uh, Tower 42 in London. And then I got approached by another trust company to do exactly the same, which I, I did. I became an equity holder. And then decided that actually it was uh, more appropriate to set up my own business and have my my own equity in my own business. And that's when I when I did that. That's when I got approached about becoming a non-executive director and or director on boards of offshore funds because I had the connections with um, the offshore fund administrators through my life in the offshore fiduciary world. So I mean, the experience has just escalated, and um, I've just seen so many different things over the years. It's just been fantastic. And running your own business, has that given you more diversity or has it allowed you to sort of focus in on specific areas? How, how's that direction gone? Um, that has been the times the worst move I've ever done, but at times the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's no experience like running your own business. True. Um, you have so many more things to deal with from a team of uh, sort of 14 advisors in Cheltenham to deciding that when I had a young family, actually, I wanted to set up an office in Bristol and move right. back to Bristol. And then, um, yeah, it's it's been just a evolution of experience on running your own business. And yes, it has resulted in me um, getting lots of experience. I've now 
been approached by uh, Tollies, Lexus, uh, CCH, Kroner I. Um, I write for all of them. So I write on various sub- subjects such as separation and divorce, practical inquiries, manual for, for Kroner I, do annotated finance at. So within the industry, I've, I've got a lot more into picking and choosing what work I want to do. But fortunately, yeah. I, have a, I have a larger team behind me now that obviously um, do other work as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so, so one for me, Anton, is so what it sounds like is it, during your career, there's been a, a, a fearlessness where you've just gone from either department to department or you've taken on a new challenge and, uh, and new challenges appeared and you've just gone for it. Now, talking to my generation, you know, I'm, I'm 30 years old and often I find in my generation, there's a feeling of okay, I've got the career. So you mentioned Ernest and Jones in the early days, right? You felt like you had that career and that was it. You set for the rest of your life. Whereas that kind of dynamic has changed slightly. So have you got any tips for somebody of my generation on how you just made that transition from one department to another challenge, to another experience? Because you've probably got phenomenal stories to share, but many of my generation just won't experience that because they just stay in the same position in fear that they'll lose that perfect career. Yeah, so when I was um, your age, I got asked to uh, speak for a professional education um, firm. And a lot of that was uh, sort of akin and related to uh, things like Anthony Robbins and and stuff like that. So I, I started questioning what stopped you from going places and what made you drive forward. And I started reading, first I started reading um, books on neuro-linguistic programming because I found that fascinating. And then I started reading psychology books. And the the basis of psychology, there was two main subjects. One was about um, happiness and what makes you happy. And for me, I discovered from reading a a psychology book by Oliver James called They F You Up, um, which is all about how parents um, (laughs) mess mess your life up or how your personality is created. Mm. And I was the youngest child of three, which often um, means that you get a sense of satisfaction and happiness out of achieving things. And this sounds really sad because you're the third child. You're not given as much attention. And, And then... I sort of reading other books like the Anthony Robbins um, and uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad and stuff like that. You start thinking, well, actually, what are the obstacles? And the only obstacle to making mm. you do stuff is yourself. Mm. And that's uh, that's been an interesting journey. So at, at your age, 30, I started writing my own goal list, which I then taught other people to do and stuff like that. And, you know, you it was amazing. My life went from uh, a career at... The professional services firms to well if you google my name now on the internet i i think i feel a couple pages of google Fantastic. Um, which is if that's an accolade that's an accolade i don't know <laughs> some of it might be bad you never know but um i suspect most of it's all about uh what i've done and what i've written about and i'm i'm still very much task oriented and rather than hide from that i embrace it it's something i love doing so um, I will have a sense of satisfaction once we've done this discussion. And then when I write it, um, for example, I've write, just written Tolly's Tax Digest on what they call the uh, trust protection. So given to offshore trust for non-domiciled people in the UK. It's 22,000 words. So it's like a, a, a small book. <laughs> um, 
but it, it today I give the sign off and it gets published and that Fantastic. will be an amazing feeling of um, satisfaction. Congratulations, by the way. Well done. Thank you. So, well, I mean, that, that in itself is a great message for everybody because that's very much the thrust of what we do at Growth Tribes. And the concept to, when we set this up was an older voice, younger voice. So we've got two older voices here and one younger voice today. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's nice because sometimes, you know, the people that tune into this are looking for that message as well. And if it's reinforced in a different way, that's fantastic. Uh, so today's subject, of course, is estate planning and wills. And, and that's one of the big areas for you that's played out in a big part of your career. So I guess the first question and, and maybe the most obvious question but maybe not some maybe the, the most obvious question to a lot of people is what is estate planning and I've kind of I've written a little note to myself and put it in a brackets to say also that some people are confused by the term estate planning versus what is a will so maybe if you could expand on that as well so let's start there we've, we've got five or six questions that we want to throw at Anton and over the course of the podcast I'm sure there'll be more questions that come out from both myself and Harminda but the obvious starting point is what is estate planning and, and 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 how does the will fit into that so estate planning is just a generic term it could mean a lot of different things for example it could mean asset protecting protecting your assets it could mean structuring um your personal and business affairs i like to think of estate planning as managing the efficient passing of wealth it's putting those wealth into structures um during your lifetime not mm. not necessarily at death so it is about starting and thinking early and proactive. Um, what we do find is most people think that the will, if you go to a solicitor, for example, a solicitor will say, yes, you need to do estate planning, do a will. Well, a will deals with your assets on your death. So whilst you're growing your, your wealth and your assets, should you not be thinking about it during your lifetime? One, it's easier to do um, things with assets whilst they are of lower value or whilst they're accumulating growth. Um, rather than just everything on your death. So it's, and, and on your death, even if you do a will, you need to be aware that actually your beneficiaries of the will could all club together and change, um, do a deed of variation to your will. So would you have passed assets in the manner that you want to? Whereas during your lifetime, you have a control over that. Um, so it's putting wealth in structures during your lifetime and then facilitating those structures um, or the uh, passing of further assets at death. So I look at it and go in the terms that you should start, let's say, Harminda, you're 30. You're, you're starting, let's just say, for example, somebody you're your age is starting out in business. That's a life event. That's something that they should be considering. What do they do? Um, how do they structure it? Do they want to give shares to their children? Do they want to pass the family business on? Do they want to build the business and sell it? So all those questions, um, certain life events, uh, things like death, divorce, separation, bankruptcy, they all have an impact, as does having children. And this is interesting because estate planning goes wider than just passing assets. It can also include things like who's going to be the guardian of my children? Who do, who do I trust to look after my children? Who do right. I trust to hold assets in order to control those gifts um, or the money to the children as they're growing up. That's such a true point, actually, because having had kids myself, this conversation happened some years ago with Stina and I. And oddly enough, you're, sp you're spot on because the conversation was more about who do we trust to look after the kids? What didn't come up in the conversation is who do we trust to look after the kids and manage the things that we own, you know, the properties, for example. And I think it's more an emotional thing from parents, isn't it? You don't tend to think of the finance. You think about the children and how, how they're going to be looked after. But there's so much more behind that. Yeah, absolutely. And 
I think it's difficult because people, they look at their children and they say, right, I've got, you know, I've got a personal right, an obligation rather, or duty to make sure that they are cared for. They, they tend to also want to avoid the topic of death. And that's why so many people don't do planning during their lifetime because they're like, well, I'm never going to get ill. I'm not going to be the one that gets cancer. But I suspect most people that listen to this will know someone that has been ill. Ser- seriously ill absolutely so anton so so here's a question which is so that that is in itself such a challenging and difficult subject to discuss now if you are somebody of my age who you know like my mum's had cancer how does somebody in my similar situation or somebody who knows oh my goodness look there's and if we take the current circumstance which is you know coronavirus covid19 which should be bringing to awareness the reality of somebody passing, hopefully not, but that could happen. Uh, do you have any tips or a, a story you can share where a younger person can tackle this with their parents? They can bring, they can start the conversation with their parents. Because I know a lot of parents or uh, within families of families who just will refuse to talk about this. They, well, no, also, I mean, yeah. you know, we're, we're both from an Asian culture. You don't have this discussion with your parents. No, you don't. In Asian culture, you really don't. And and if anybody's 30 listening to me, you'll know that your parents just will not sp- speak about money. They won't talk about it. They won't talk about assets, assets in other countries they own. It's just off the table. Don't talk about money around us. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think different cultures, obviously, um, have different ways of dealing with it i think in you know my caucasian white english culture um it's probably more open to discuss and you're right um i've had uh, asian clients where the parents actually one of the strict things they talk to me about is keeping the content of their planning and their wills and their asset secret and private from people generally so there is different things that you need to deal with often i have found that in sort of the Asian culture, I found that a, I'm thinking of one person, um, Sol, um, she actually turned around and said to her parents, I think you need to talk to this professional advisor and left it actually for somebody else to discuss with them. Um, Even those discussions when I was introduced to the parents and we discussed their affairs, it took over 12 months for them to do something. It's still a very difficult situation to actually appreciate oh i've got a plan for my death to put it into contents of why it's important i had a client who wanted their will drafting he and his son both used to race in in the tt races on the isle of man okay um and he was going off to the races this is going back about five or six years ago and he was he was going off to the races and um, I was like, well, you should get it all signed up before. Highly dangerous sport. Yeah, and I, I was like, you should get it signed up beforehand, because he he had lived with his partner, but they weren't man and wife, and they had children, and all the assets were in his name, and he went to, and this is a really sad story actually, but he did race in the Isle of Man um, TT races, and he crashed and died. The saddest part of it is that his son also crashed and died. Um, and if anybody Googles TT races accidents, it's one of the most um, reported on the internet. But however, his uh, his assets were then under uh, scrutiny by his ex-wife and not his current partner. Um, so there was a massive conflict um, that went on afterwards uh, that left his 
his partner and his uh, younger child in a rather poor state for um, several years. My goodness me. Just, well, can I ask, just, just yeah. jumping on that, Anton, what do you think, from all your observations of people, human dynamics, and, and what do you think stops people making that step, putting it back, just hedging it back another day, another week? What's your gut feeling on it, having watched people in that position? See, I, I guess it's, it's the same for me. It's the um, it's not going to happen to me mm. um, sort of view. And I think maybe it's painted in different light, i.e. you're not planning for death, but you're planning to um, facilitate the passing on the wealth of the family in a controlled manner. And you don't you don't actually dress it. This is going to happen on death. Maybe if you dress it, actually, it's going to be passed on to the children as they grow up or to you know, some people who don't have children go, well, what's the point? I don't know what's going to happen. But many people um, that I meet, especially where we present to on uh, tax and property structuring, they not only want to pass on to their family, but they want to do some contribution. They want to give to charity. Right. And they could do that just on their will. But it, wouldn't it be nice to set it up during your lifetime and actually start facilitating mm. uh, the passing of um, assets to charity? Maybe your own charity. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. And that actually, that's a great point in the sense that it gives people a, a greater sense of meaning to why they would want to do it. Because often people will do more for other people than they will for themselves. Yeah. So the idea of, of a charity being set up may be that little extra push. I mean, the other thing is, is that we're busy, I mean, especially p- people your generation harms. You're all busy off doing your stuff and, you know, trying to live life at a young age. And it tends to be pushed back. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a feeling of, you know, I'm invincible. I don't need to worry about things like this. That's not going to happen to me. You know, that's something that may happen to me. Yeah. Yeah. In 40, 50, 60 years time. And there's also lots of information which says, hey, look, our generation is going to live well beyond 100 years because of the technology and those kind of advancements that will keep us going. And oh my, oh, my kids will be OK until something like coronavirus or COVID-19 occurs. And you look at the technology and it's going to take them however many years potentially to create some sort of cure, some sort of vaccine for this scenario, that's when it should become a real conversation. But there is a feeling of invincibility for sure. And it's not really discussed. So I guess what I liked about that and I've taken away is rather than have the conversation, you know, as a non-expert with your family for my generation, it's very much, hey, look, here's a couple of experts you may want to speak to on the topic. And it's not going to happen overnight, but it'd be great if we started to speak about that, that handing over of wealth or the transfer of wealth over time, rather than waiting till it's all messy. So that's that's what I've just taken away from the question and the answer that Anton just given us there. Yeah, that's fantastic. Can I just jump back in on, on this first question? What is estate planning? Is it so as somebody's progressing through their life, Anton, are there different you talked about life events and different types of estate planning. Could you elaborate on a few of those maybe in terms of, you know, what things are to be considered along the way? If somebody's listening to this, because we've got listeners in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and even 60s as, as we're recording this. Are there any things for people to be mindful of? Or possibly you could just bring a, a magnifying glass out and just share with a couple of things. Yeah. So I think, I mean, the first one is, you know, when when does somebody need to do something? That's the biggest question, isn't it? And um, it might be the fact that they've got their first property or their first asset. At that point, obviously, if they were to pass away, directing where that asset goes um, becomes important. So that's kind of the first stage. The next one might be marriage. 
So when right. somebody gets, if somebody's done, for example, a will, um, and then they go and get married, the previous will becomes um, obsolete because marriage uh, knows and voids your your will. So you would you would need to do uh, another will then. But I when suspect you get, a lot of people didn't even realise that listening to this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we found people that obviously later in life um, they've done their their wills following a divorce, for example, which is another another life event where you might want to. Um, they've done their wills and then they've met somebody and they've um, run off to Cyprus and got married and uh, they haven't they haven't entered into new wills. So in that scenario, they've voided both their wills um, that they had previously and they now have no will. So there's there's been situations like that. Um, OK, can I just clarify this? So are we, are we saying then that if somebody gets married by default, the previous will is totally void? Yes. Wow. OK. I fully appreciate that myself, actually. So, so if somebody's sitting here now, they've got married and they wrote a will out, <clears throat> maybe they've previously been married before. Where does that estate now sit? Is it in limbo? It sits. So the estate passes um, in test date. So it, it, it goes to accordance to what the government say. Right, so it okay. could it could technically your your wife will get a proportion, your children will get a proportion. Right. Um, and then a proportion will go to the crown. And do you want to explain that so people understand a little bit about that? Because of the, the other crown part, the crown parts piqued my curiosity. <laughs> yes, I was waiting for him. I was waiting for him to jump in on that one. Right. So I've got to look at the. I've got to remember the amounts. I think the wife gets a sort of first one hundred twenty-five thousand, or two hundred fifty thousand, then children one hundred twenty-five thousand, something like that. But it's it's relatively small amounts. And then if there are, um, if there's sort of no wife, no children, then it goes to the crown. So it's not the best way of uh, structuring it. Um, but the, the amounts that pass to the wife um, or the surviving spouse are relatively small and certainly not enough to uh, survive of. So in that scenario, there could be an application to the court. So uh, the family could club together, um, apply to the court. But it's that actual inconvenience of the process of sorting the estate out. And uh, whilst the estate's being sorted out, um, how, how are people going to live if they have no access to um, funds? Let's say it's the one spouse is a predominant earner um, and has uh, the majority of assets in their name that generate the income. All of that could be in limbo for a very long time whilst uh, a process of applying to the court to sort the estate out um, goes on. I mean, can you just, I know I don't want to magnify the pain for people, but I do want to get people to realise that the lack of planning in this area, and I know I've fallen into this trap myself in the past, is you put it back, you put it back, especially if you're dynamic and you're out trying to do things. What? So can you just go back to the pain of this? What have you seen as situations where people haven't planned and they're sat in front of you and it's like, oh my gosh, where do I do next? What are some of the consequences? So we talked about they're in limbo, they can't get access to money. Um, emotionally, what what does that often do to families? Because it's not a pleasant time. You've experienced a death, but there's all this other stuff going on in the background. How does that play out sometimes for people? I mean, the situation with somebody dying in test state, first of all, uh, obviously the assets of the estate are in limbo. Yeah. The- so n- no one can get access to them and no one... I guess my question is, are people left thinking, what the, do I do? Does it does it result in arguments, um, fallouts, or do people just leave it? Because this is going on daily, isn't it? I mean, there's deaths every single day in this country. And I don't even know what percentage of people don't plan for it. But I, I can't I can't even begin to imagine the stress it puts on people. Yeah, I mean, it's phenomenal. I mean, I think one thing 
that you just said then what what happens do people fall out i think there's um something we should all and i, I say this in when i present on it but when there's uh, falling outs between family members it's always yeah. uh, weddings and funerals and that sounds awful but that's when people fall out and that's you know when somebody dies you find the amount of people that could turn around and say well um my sister went into um mum's house and started taking possessions that she wanted um which mum was leaving to both of us or to or right. to me and stuff like that happens all the time but where where someone dies in Tesse, the biggest problem is that the surviving partner gets uh, up to 270,000 in personal possessions and then the remainder of the estate is shared where the surviving spouse would get um, an absolute interest in half the remainder and the other half is divided amongst the surviving children. Obviously there's things that aren't taken into account there and this is probably more common nowadays um, but some people like to only benefit blood relatives and not non-blood relatives. That sounds okay. awful. It's true. So um, you might have um, been on your second, third or fourth marriage and you might have children from, or there might be children from spouses that aren't connected to you um, right. that could end up benefiting that you don't want to benefit. And I think in that situation where you have been through um, more than one marriage and you have um, children from different marriages and um, the spouses of those marriages have children from different marriages or even different relationships, I, I should say. That's when you know, falling outs can really occur yeah. um, because people might think they're entitled to something. And if you haven't prescribed what you feel is people are entitled to, then that, that creates difficulties. There's been a number of situations where and I've got one at the moment where it's a, a U.S. Well, the, the family originate from the U.S., but the mum and dad have um, become domiciled in the U.K. and therefore they're leaving their assets to their two adopted children. One of the adopted children has uh, she moved to the U.S. and um, she has quite an acrimonious relationship with her parents. And um, in that situation, they want uh, the parents want the bloodline to inherit the same so both children's bloodline to inherit the same but they want to bypass the daughter that is acrimonious okay gosh that must lead to a very difficult situation <laughs> so, so so what's interesting there is it, it just highlighting the importance of how complex this can get yeah and how nuanced this can get and how particular based on what somebody's desire is th that this can get so for and i'm curious now as well which is because I haven't considered it to how complex things can get. So what we spoke about was, okay, if your your will gets automatically voided, if, you know, for example, if you're married. So what happens if somebody was to have children? So, okay, you, you're a married couple now, uh, you sort out your will, and now you've got children. What happens then if you don't address arranging the next stage of the will as such? Okay, so when you have children, your your will doesn't become voided or anything like that, but it does address a new issue, which is um, if you pass away whilst your child is a minor, so i.e. under the age of 18, then you're left in a situation that um, the child's got to be um, cared for in a manner that uh, assets can be held in a manner that allow the child to... Um, not let's say you have a million or two million of free cash that's that's available and it passes on 
and you pass it on to your will, if you're going to pass it on for the child, you want to wrap it into an environment that is protected in order that the child can benefit from education, uh, maintenance during their lifetime. So I use the analogy and I, I used to joke about this with my, uh, and it, uh, I should probably do something about this, but I use the analogy that let's say I pass away and all the assets are in my name and my wife um, runs off with the gardener. Um, you know, on the rebound of devastation from the relationship with her husband, she runs off with the gardener. But the gardener, the gardener actually is in it to um, to take take the assets. I, I How, thought you told me your gardener was eighty seven, <laughs> Anton. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if, for example, I mean, this does happen though. This is where somebody loses a partner; they become emotionally more vulnerable. They enter into another relationship over time. That relationship doesn't work out, but that new partner has become entitled to, um, under either common law or under matrimonial law, an amount of the estate. So, for example, if I left my assets to my wife, she runs off with the gardener, and two years or three years later it doesn't work out, and the gardener makes a claim on the assets, um, but the gardener had nothing and has no prenuptial or postnuptial agreement with my wife. That sounds awful to say. Um, then he, he's got a potential of taking you wow. know, 50% of those assets. Wow. So in those situations, if I was to pass away, well, fortunately, if I do pass away, my assets go into trust for the children. So I think the children, and I, I better watch my back a little bit because they're, they're now teenagers, um, or one of them's a teenager. Um, um, I won't send them the link to this podcast. No, please don't. <laughs> so the the assets a couple million um go into goes into trust for the children and that um is then protected and ring fenced for their benefit um in a controlled trust so um they will get money from that trust in order to look after their maintenance i.e their cost of their school uniforms the cost of going to school um education needs the cost of going to university but it's protected and they won't get the capital from that into their older until they are, uh, I think it's 21, I put it at. So the trust office... And that age can be chosen by the parent, is that right? Yes, yes. I think uh, it has to, under trust law, that you've got to pass um, capital for 25. Okay. Um, but you can put some restrictions in place as well on discretionary trust. Yeah. And there's then if you go into that realm comes to question of which jurisdiction you use for the trust so if you are really super wealthy then it might be that um, other jurisdictions offer more flexibility under trust law than the uk does okay so just jumping in on that question as well what about couples that are listening to this that may not be man and wife but have been living together for several years that by default put them into a position where they are common common is it common law man and wife or how does that sit so in that situation, let's say uh, if they die in test state, then the assets, um, because there's not a marriage in place, the assets won't go to the common law partner. That can be contested again um, right. in courts and they can contest they have um, spousal rights. But it's the inconvenience of that process. Again, another good reason why um, it's, it's sensible to put a will in place. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... I, I want to just because we're still on uh, what is estate planning can can you maybe just elaborate 
what does estate mean? What falls into estate? Because people might think, most people probably think, oh, it's just the house, but it's not just the house, is it? No, no, it's not. Um, obviously, the house is normally one of the largest assets in a person's estate. But the estate can mean anything from um, your personal chattels. So, for example, I've got a few nice watches. Um, mm -hmm. my, my first ever expensive watch I bought when I got my employment offer from Ernst & Young. And it was a Lejeune's watch. And my original will left that to them, my brother. Um, unfortunately, even, even in my life, it's not been smooth. And my brother hasn't been the nicest of people at times. So um, I would no longer want him to receive that watch. It's a very sure. sentimental, personal thing. Um, yeah. And now that, now that I have children, I would probably want my watches to go to my son anyway. Right. Mm. So it could mean planning with um, those shuttles um, and something very personal. It can include things like your businesses, your property portfolio, your stock portfolio. It includes basically your estate is all of the assets, whether uh, physical assets or um, intellectual property, whether rights, everything that you own. So, Anton, when you're sitting down with a client, say somebody's listening to this, they might want to sit down with you at some point. Is there a process you go through? You literally just cataloging all of this stuff, including you just mentioned intellectual property, which hadn't even occurred to me, actually. So is it a case of just collating all of that information and digging deep into the person's life to get a sense of who they are, what they own and what they do? Yeah, it's really uh, I mean, it's about a lot of it is about getting to know the clients. Um, this is where I struggle with people who can just do a will online um, because you don't have someone exploring or delving into what you want to achieve and all the different um, idiosyncrasies, all the different events that could happen in the future. Right. Um, for example, you talk to someone that's um, done this for well, for me, over 20 years, and you've had a number of clients, you've seen a number of events. So you would turn around to a client and say, okay, so your business, do you really think one of your children will take over your business? And quite often, um, somebody will turn around, yeah, well, I think John, little Johnny might be interested in taking over the business. And then they start thinking about it, go, well, I'm not sure Johnny has the mindset to run the business and certainly wouldn't run it like me, mm. for example. Um, and then they start, oh, it might be better then to build a management team to run the business, offer them some equity incentives, but hold the shares in trust for little Johnny instead. Right. And that's that's the type of exploration you go through. And then, you know, that could go even deeper and you could be saying, well, OK, so what's little Johnny like? Well, he's at university a little bit at the moment and he's a little bit. Um, he's partying a lot and he's having a good time. You're like, okay, so do you think there might be a risk that Johnny's going to party for the next decade, for the next <laughs> two? Or, or for example, like like my cousin Steve, um, he's now in his um, late 60s and I think he's partied for the last 46 years. <laughs> uh, what, what, um, so what, what's interesting is, and what I'm taking away from this is, it's almost like having somebody which a website and a online will just cannot produce, which is somebody who's objective to ask you difficult questions because the romantic idea is, yeah, little Johnny's going to take over the business and he's going to pass it to his kid and his right. kid's going to pass it to his kid. That's the romantic idea. But when reality hits, 
it is that little Johnny couldn't care less about the business and they would like to go be a doctor or they're inspired by the amazing NHS workers at the moment. Hey, look, actually, I want to enter that field. I want to enter the field of science, right. which has nothing to do with the business. Whereas the romantic idea is big daddy Johnny's thinking, yeah, no, my son's going to take over the business. He's the he's the eldest son. Thinking back to the psych- psychology book that you mentioned earlier, they F you up. Uh, you're the eldest son. You're going to take over the business. And all of those kind of things play in people's mind until an Anton Lane sits there and has an objective conversation with you. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's um, I mean, it could be so many different events um, when when you think about it. It's it's sort of how so estate planning goes at one stage further and says okay so if you're planning to give your estate away do you need to control that gift and how are you going to control it when you're dead mm. um and it might be that you you know as your children get let's say into their 30s you might um, what, you what might does control back. mean just so our listeners understand okay so control In this context. um it means coming back as a ghost and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to do that this today. I, 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 that, I, I'm sure some people believe that's there. They can, they can manage it in past death. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's just put it in a simpler form. Let's say, um, Harminder, you're a business person. Yeah. And uh, with that comes certain risks. I know that. I've been in business for a long time now. And you take on a certain level of risk. You you loads of people had successful businesses and then COVID-19 has come along and those businesses might not be looking so safe anymore. But let's say your parents wanted to pass assets on to you and they're looking at going, well, he's always been an entrepreneur. He's always putting himself at risk and I want these assets to stay safe. I want them to be in a protected environment. So that, that leaves them with some choices. For example, they might want to, well, I'll give some illustrations. That's the easiest way I can do this. They might want to put those assets into a protective trust which means that um, in the event that you become bankrupt, you're locked out from benefit, which sounds awful, but those assets are then protected. Mm-hmm. So during your period of bankruptcy, you can't um, take assets out. You can't, they can't form part of your claim on bankruptcy um, to, to pay your debts off. Makes sense. You could um, include other um, eventualities. I'm not saying it's going to happen to you, Harm, but um, other things like, uh, well, if they become, if they go through divorce, I want them locked out because I want those assets protected from their spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, they could say, well, I'm going to make the trust discretionary, which means that the trustees have discretion over how you benefit. And therefore, the trustees that have this discretionary power can say, yes, I will give I will give you um, something now, but actually I've noticed that you're behaving a little bit strange and you're probably back on your drugs or your alcohol problem again. I will pay for you to go to rehab, but I won't pay for you to have another Ferrari. Right. That that kind of that kind yeah, of Yeah, but this is control. fascinating. Yeah. That kind of carrot yeah. stick, yeah. And those trustees are chosen people, Anton, that, that you trust in going into that or are they independent and objective people? So they're, they're, cho- they're chosen people and most people will want somebody they personally trust on. Um, I would say that um, if you're, for example, 80, it's probably not sensible to appoint somebody else that's 80 years of age to be the right. trustee. Right. Um, I also think that it's if you think about well I, I mentioned earlier that on uh, bad things happen on on marriage and divorce people fall out when when you die and your estate's there money has a strange way of changing some people hundred percent hundred percent well it's it's like the scenario where um, no my wife and I have discussed the fact that if we ever do divorce we're going to be fair and reasonable about it. <laughs> 
believe me when you've when you've had that affair and the other ones found out they're not going to be fair about it they are going to take whatever they can because it's their last stab at that pot um especially because it's your gardener (laughs) yeah um there are obviously going to be some people that um don't take that approach but i would say the majority of people are going to see the money and they're going to say this is going to change and make my life better by getting more of this or or they're going to say i'm going to have you know in the case of uh divorce i'm going to have one last stab at him for or her for for being unfaithful and it may Um, be a third party who's encouraging that i mean that's potentially it you know uh, a sister or brother yeah yeah. (laughs) i didn't want to say that myself but there's that kind of thought when somebody is at an emotional uh, intense significant Mm. time in their life you know rationality or what you agreed five years ago or when you got engaged that all goes out the window and that is uh, you you know you can see that commonly Uh, you know everybody knows somebody who's gone through something like that yeah and the same happens the same mindset happens unfortunately on death so for example um i i know some people were rather um close to me actually where the two sons were the executors um and leading up to their it was their mother was uh not very well um and it was predicted that she would pass away and they had a power of attorney over the assets and they started taking assets as gifts um saying that no uh, mum has given this to me she knows she's not well she's sound mind she's given me this before she died because she wanted to um, plan her state differently to her will they saw them you know, it sounds awful but they saw the money they took the money mum passed away and strange enough the will um, actually left more of a percentage if uh, sorry the, the grandchildren would have got a larger sum because of the way the will worked had those assets been left in it but they they'd taken their amounts out the will had specified fixed amounts to the two sons but they'd taken the gifts out beforehand and therefore the grandchildren got smaller amounts mm. so again it's sounds awful it but these yeah. these things happen these things do happen and you never quite in all the times i've seen it and i'm thinking of um people that i've known personally I would never have expected of them before, which either makes me a really bad judge of character, um, but I don't think that is the case. I think it's it's the fact that people see the money and they think it will change their life. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And there's a there's a new book that's come out called Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell, which which talks about the concept of you know the whole judging a book by cover, and actually we don't know anything about the person until something like money is put in front of them so it's it is fascinating a question i'm curious about is so my generation so we've discussed you know we've touched upon lots of questions which is why is important what is estate planning but talk directly to my generation and and almost answer the question when when should we be thinking about this you know is it when you're 20 is it when you're 18 is it when you're 25 is it when you get your first asset when should my generation start to have this conversation either as an individual with their partner and one of the things that would be a follow-up question would really be, how long does it take to set up? Because my generation are are all about convenience. We're all about, okay, I can only spare half an hour to set up my will. That's the kind of mentality that we, we may bring to the table. So how much time do we need to invest in setting up a will properly? I guess that's the question, as well as speaking to my generation to act sooner rather than later. Yeah, I would say as soon as you have an asset, that is the right time to do a will. So as soon as you have a valuable asset, 
Or as soon as you, if, for example, if you have, if you don't have an asset, but you have life insurance, then um, just, this is just a, on a side. But if you have life insurance, then you should consider writing the life insurance in trust. So it doesn't fall into your estate. It goes into a trust. It doesn't fall into your estate, so it isn't included in inheritance tax. But you can then put it into a trust and pass it on um, in a manner through that trust to either your children, partner, spouse, or you know, if you're really young, you might want to pass it on to charity or, or other family members. So that's just an aside. But in answer to your question, when should you do a will? When you have an asset. It's pretty straightforward. How long does it take? Uh, well, it depends on how complicated your estate is, how wealthy you are, and obviously how many beneficiaries that you would like to benefit from your estate. Mm. Um, because each beneficiary, you will have a conversation about, well, does that beneficiary have any issues are they a vulnerable person um i.e do they have an illness that needs uh, care do they have a disability um so on and so forth so there's i think you can have an initial conversation with an advisor which might take half an hour at that point you probably understand that to if, if your assets are a reasonable size you probably understand that it's going to take a, a few hours um of not only discussing with an advisor but what I would do is have an initial conversation and then let someone sit on it for a few days and think about the, what they want. Because when you, let's say you prepare a will for someone, they will often come back to you after the preference says, well, I thought about this a little bit more and I wouldn't mind actually um, ring fencing the amount for little Johnny into a trust or I wouldn't mind, I don't think I need a trust, I need to give it directly to them. Mm. So their, their mindset changes. They need to think about, people need to think about it. This is why it's easier to do during your lifetime. Because if you if you have it on your agenda that you need to plan, it makes it easier to do your will. It's so much easier when somebody's fought it through and they come to you and say, well, I'd like to, you know, put some into a protective trust. I'd like to pass some on directly. I'd like to give this amount to charity or I'd like to set up my own charity. Just having having the time to think about it and as you mentioned Harminda, people are busy people are short of time nowadays mm. and that might that might be another one of the reasons why people don't give this enough concentration yeah and i think it's also another reason why and i've just written i mean i'm making notes as we're talking and diys it's the whole di do it yourself i'll just jump online and fill in the standard pro forma type will but everything you said for this last hour or so now is, is very clearly indicating that, that if somebody does that there's a huge number of things that may slip through the net and then that could lead to contentious arguments discussions emotional discussions confusion uh, over but okay it wasn't in the will but surely that's what they meant yeah. would i be right in saying that the, the more specific the more explicit the will is the less confusion there is amongst family members post the death i know we're talking about death here but it, would that be fair to say it has is, to be that explicit is, that is correct and that's why it's you know if you go online you do an online one it will never be as specific as a tailored will but if uh, for example do lifetime planning and you do your structures and your planning during your lifetime you've been even more specific about it because you've implemented it it can't be changed it's in place right. um, so there is there's more to lifetime planning and structuring and i'll just use uh, illustration for example let's say rohan your business um is worth five million and yeah. you don't need any increase in that value anymore right um you could create, for example, during your lifetime, capital growth shares and give those growth shares away 
to either a trust or to um, children. And it, it takes the it take, firstly, it reduces your estate for inheritance tax, but it also puts those shares um, in a controlled place, a growth that will happen in your business over the next 10 or 15 years of your life. I'm sure you're going to live longer, but it will pass them. That's all right. Um, but it will pass them into an environment um, that is more controlled. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I know we're firing uh, questions at you, Anton. One of the other ones I had is if as your business and estate or investment portfolio, et cetera, grows, do you advise that people keep a will up to date or is there just one will that encompasses everything? Um, if you're doing so, again, if you're doing lifetime planning, then uh, that negates the need to do so much in your will. If you're not doing lifetime planning, then the need to do your will is probably more important and the need to update your will is going to be more important. Because as your well, we all uh, certainly Ro and I have been around a lot longer know that life events result in changes to where you would like um, assets and money to go. So you know, when I my business, for example, I don't think any of my uh, children are going to become tax advisors. So that that business, for example, I think I would just sell to the management and, and or or give right. to the management. So that, yeah. that that kind of thing that. You know, if you went back 10, 15 years ago, wouldn't have even been in my, on my mind. And then um, as your assets change, for example, uh, you build a property portfolio. People go, well, I want to give property A to Johnny and property B to um, Alice, for example. Um, actually, you might want to incorporate your property portfolio. You might want to put it into a company and then give away the shares in the company or give away a different class of shares in company or even give away capital growth shares. Um, mm. You might also want to enter things like shareholders agreement to um, have things like preemption rights to stop little Johnny selling his shares to an unknown third party um, that then is involved in the business that you, you don't want. You might want to uh, have rights that they have to sell to the other shareholders first, for example. And you can even prescribe in those agreements, you can prescribe um, the sort of values that would be paid and the terms of those values and whether it's a loan over a period of time. I mean, the more you're talking, we'll come back to property actually, because I think it's a good subject. We've got a lot of listeners that are probably in that field. The depth of this is unfolding. I, I'm just, I want to try and back up a bit and see if I can group this into two areas. So what you're talking to us about and explaining to our listeners and ourselves is there's lifetime planning versus a will. And, and if lifetime planning is put in place during the course of the life, whether you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, that planning, in theory, should mitigate a more complicated will in the sense that you've already prepared in the event of your death, the will points back to what you did in your lifetime planning. Is that right? In other words, the will is yep. almost simpler because it's referring back to what you've prepared in advance of that. Yeah, put very eloquently. Okay. And doing it that way, well, I imagine... And Anton, it avoids all of the negative scenarios or consequences that we want to avoid, i.e. your family falling apart, uh, your family being at battleheads with each other, people, the money changing people. Whereas if people were aware in advance of the ag arrangement, would you suggest that, say, for example, I'm creating a will and doing lifetime planning in order to support that will, I would have an open conversation with everybody involved in it mm, uh, in question. advance or is good it a question. case of because I, I know some people who've created a will and the people who are involved in the will have no idea what's written right. in there so i'm just asking what would you suggest is the better approach so the best i look at it in three three main items you should do planning during your lifetime 
um, you will have to have a will in any event. Um, so you, you need those two things. But the third item is what's the importance of insuring in the event of death as well and how to um, plan for that. So it's kind of Can you just say strength. that again slowly? So because I'm making a note yeah. as well, just so we so, can catch the notes. Yeah. So the, the three things that I see as important, number one, lifetime planning. It helps reduce, as, you, as we've said, the need for a complicated will. It simplifies that process for the will, um, but it also allows you to give more controlled gifts um, in the manner that you desire. The second one is obviously the will. You will, if, so long as you own assets at death, you we, will need a will to pass them on. Um, so it, lifetime planet is the first priority. Second one is the will. And the third one is that you find, and this sometimes is about when your assets are of low value, you might, for example, let's say in your, you know, you're younger in age, you haven't built up a portfolio, but you have children. And um, if you were to die, the children's life um, would be severely hindered or suffered financially because you are the main breadwinner. So that that's one driving factor to put a, a, a higher insurance in place, a life insurance. Um, it's also between and prior to the age of uh, 50, life insurance is uh, relatively cheap mm. um, because statistically you're not you're not going to die. Uh, you're not as likely to die. Right. Um, and you can get life insurance that um, works on a retail price index increase. So it will increase the premium, but you will still have the um, the benefit of the pot for the entirety of the term, so 10 year term, 20 year term. Yeah. But let's say you're, you, well, let's put it into perspective. Let's say you need 80,000 pounds a year to support your family. That equates uh, to, let's say, 140,000 pre-tax. Yeah. So yeah. these these might be big numbers to some people. So I'm, I'm sorry, you, you, you could be a lot less. So 140,000 pre-tax. Sorry, just working this out. You would need approximately 2.8 million in a pot to give that same level of income. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, to yeah. support your children. So if I mean, I, I generally look at it, a million will give 40,000, so 4%. So you could, whilst you're younger, Put life insurance in place that would put those sort of level of assets into policy if you die that would support your children so right. there's the three angles i would look at so this is a working back process now you're saying okay what do you think the children would need what would that equate to pre-tax income and then working based on a return on investment in this case of four percent that's what the pot needs to look like so now let's design the life insurance to deliver that on my death that's effectively yeah. what we're saying yeah yeah and for people that choose, let's say they say, well, I don't really want to do lifetime planning yet. And these might be the people that are, I'm going to say they're normally under 50. And this won't be the same for every person, but they, let's say they don't want to do life planning. So they go, well, I will do a will. But then they say, well, my estate, my assets are worth X, uh, say a million of assets above your nil rate band for IHT. You're going to have 400,000 of um, IHT to pay. But in order to have that 400000 to pay the IHT, those assets will need to be sold by the executors, by the estate. For our listeners, that's inheritance tax, by the way. So in that scenario, the insurance might come in to say, well, we'll insure my life for 400000 to cover the IHT. Mm-hmm. So the assets can then pass on through the will to the children or to the, the, the surviving spouse or, or um, partner free of IHT through the will. 
um, because you've you've insured the IHTML. Right. So that's another level we're talking about. The protection. Yeah. Yeah, separate so I, to, so that's separate. That's separate to life insurance. For those of you listening, it's a different thing that Anton's describing here. Go on, Hans. <laughs> so, so I was going to say for, for listeners at home, uh, if, if you're feeling like, oh my goodness, this is either overwhelming, <laughs> if this is getting, wow, I didn't even realise this was possible. I just thought I had to create a will online. Hopefully, now this is bringing to the awareness of how complex it can be and why it's massively important to have the conversation early. But Anton, just to to help the listeners at home. What is, and I know you're going to, we're going to leave with some actions, but just to hopefully ease a bit of the overwhelm right, that they may be listening to right now, because I'm, I'm feeling slightly overwhelmed with, oh my goodness. Okay. So actually some of this I haven't sorted out. So if they are feeling like, what's the first step that they should be considering? What is the number one step that they should do? Uh, and I know you've got a whole list of actions that you may share with us well, later. Do you want to but... pick this up at the end arms rather than now? Or do you think it's something we could... I, I just want to I just want to focus on the, maybe the first step. Then we can re-emphasize it later again. Okay. Um, and then we can maybe we can go into some property investor, uh, more specific stuff and business specific stuff. Yeah. So the first step that anyone should do is know what their assets are and where they want to pass them. That's mm-hmm. the, the first step. When you have a list of your assets and you're, you know, for somebody coming to talk to me, for example, it's a half an hour conversation and you will have a general good idea of what that person wants because you've seen so many other people um, Mm. with similar circumstances and you will be able to pick the experiences from others. So, yes, it is complicated subjects. Yes, it can have many different tangents, but it's something and that, again, might be a reason why people are afraid sometimes of it. Mm. But um, have that conversation with someone. So what are your assets and, and what do you, where do you want them to be or where do you want to pass yeah. them? Yeah. Okay, so that, that should hopefully help people just refocus themselves and say, okay, I know this is now important, mm. but my first step is uh, exactly there what Anton said. But I think, I think well. Harms has raised a good point yeah. here to bring it up here because there might be couples listening to this. Or it might be the husband or the wife or if it's husband, husband, wife, wife, whatever relationship is. One half is listening to this and thinking, shit, I need my other half to listen to this. I think it's great if you can get your partner to listen to this interview with Anton because I think in listening to it remotely, it might open the other person up to having that discussion because I think it, having it now, particularly without a doubt, it's heightened awareness. I think the shock of what's happened globally, everyone's sitting up and going, uh, what about this what about that what about our grandparents what about our children so most people are in lockdown these are good times to have open honest discussions without any agenda apart from to find the best course of action to protect the family the estate and the children i think that's a fair way of saying it anton would you agree yeah yeah it's about the intention isn't it ultimately yes as well as couples i would say sorry anton as well as couples i would also say parents and children because yes you know my generation many of us still live at home as well so during the lockdown period we'll be at home with our families and i'm sure pulling each party is pulling their hair out right now but this could be a structured conversation where there's you know an evening spent here a lunchtime is spent here so parents as well i just wanted to add that Mm, extra point there that's a very good point Uh, and sorry anton back to you now, I was going to say, would it be worth, uh, for example, looking at what a typical property investor can do to try to focus that area to so um, that would it be great. more mm. simple? Before we jump onto that, I had a couple of questions I wrote down because there's certain terms you've used and not everyone necessarily understands what they are. So one was, 
just define what a trust is because there's a lot of myth or mystical beliefs about a trust. Just simplify, yeah. simplify trusts for everybody listening. Yeah, um, a trust is the separation of legal and beneficial ownership. So the trustees will have the legal ownership. The beneficiaries, who are the people that can benefit from the trust, have the beneficial ownership. In, in common law, beneficial ownership is stronger than legal ownership. So the trustees have to hold those assets for the benefit of the beneficiaries in a manner that is prescribed in the trust deed. The trust deed is a legal document that specifies how a trust operates. For example, it will either have an interest in possession for the beneficiaries, which means that they are entitled to the income as it arises, or it will be discretionary, um, which means that the trustees have discretionary power whether to um, give income or assets to the beneficiaries and in the manner they do that. That might sound like a worse scenario, but discretionary is generally a more flexible arrangement. The trustees have this overriding responsibility to act in the beneficiary's best interest. Where you have a trust and, you, for example, you don't believe the trustees are going to necessarily act in accordance with the trustee, one, you wouldn't choose them, but if they saw that as something that might happen, you could appoint what they call a protector. A protector is someone that can sack the, benefit, uh, sack the trustees and appoint new trustees. Right. And in terms of, is there a simple example of a trust uh, you could just describe for us, whether it's around property or, uh, I don't know, uh, an asset that's owned by a family or a business, just something simple so people can understand what that means? Um, well, the I would say a common type of trust is where somebody has a, a business which uh, qualifies for inheritance tax relief, which is something called business property relief. Yeah. Um, where you have, a, let's say, a company where the shares qualify for business property relief, you could pass the shares into a trust. And that means there's no IHT on passing it into the trust. And those shares can then um, pass on to the benefit of future generations should you pass away. Right. I appreciate I probably just complicated the whole subject there on estate planning. But there is a, just another angle. That's a very simple trust. It could be, say, a discretionary trust. So that trust would be, let's say, for, let's say it's for children, minors. Um, and it holds those assets in order to generate income to pay for their maintenance as they go through their life. The, another common trust is, um, and these are normally set through set up on wills or when someone is seriously ill, but is a trust for vulnerable persons. And vulnerable persons could be somebody that suffers from a disability. They could have, uh, let's say, physical impairment. They could be wheelchair bound um, and not be able to look after themselves. They could have a, a mental disorder or anything like that. They're a vulnerable person. And we care for a lot of our family um, that have uh, that are vulnerable persons. And, for example, a person with Down syndrome, if the mm. parents are looking after the Down syndrome child, um, and were to pass away, there's there's no um, that that child is going to be their life is going to be severely impaired unless there's some sort of mechanism to look after them, which is where trust can come in for a vulnerable person. Okay, so I mean, if you're listening to this and you can see yourself in that situation, or you're actually wanting to do this, I think act quicker just be swift in this because i think uh, from my experience of talking to anton in the past it is it's a little bit like peeling the onion isn't it anton there's the initial conversations then there's the paperwork and there's the implementation of that as well 
It's yeah, not like um, you can just walk in the door and walk out of the office and suddenly the trust is set up and everything's hunky-dory. Uh, there is a process to it. Yeah, and I think having having the um, confidence to have that first conversation, and I yes. appreciate it's been complicated, but talk to a, you know, a specialist advisor about the subject and they will guide you through it. And before we move on to the next question, because that, that's fantastic, is if anybody's listening and they're thinking, OK, I, w- I would like to speak to Anton about this because he's, he seems like there's a, a whole wide uh, range of knowledge and experience on this topic. Before we finish, we'll be talking about how to get hold of Anton and website, social, how to get hold of him there. So just just hold tight for that. We'll, we'll share that with you later. And of course, it'll be in the show notes as well. Property investing. Let's do that. Uh, you've raised that one. I think it's a great one to tackle going, going into the next part of the podcast. So what, what can a typical property investor do if they're listening to this? OK, so I would I would say a typical property investor will normally look at, well, putting their properties into a limited company and then playing with the shares, i.e. giving shares away or putting those shares into trust. Um, giving capital growth shares or passing the shares on on death. I use the illustration sometimes when I've presented on this of mum and dad that give uh, they have two children and they give one property to uh, one child and one property to another child. Is it fair that property A that's gone to child A um, grows exponentially in value and benefits child A um, more than child B? Right. That's when people go, oh, maybe it's better to have them collectively given away. That doesn't suit all. Some might say, well, the two children always fall out. I don't think they should be shareholders in a company. That might be where a trust comes in to own the shares. So um, a trust owns the shares in the company and they are then looked after um, for the benefit of the children. So that's typical planning for property investors. Okay, let's just recap. So what you're saying is there might be two children and there's two properties for the sake of argument but one of those properties might go up in value a lot more than the other one and if it's left to child a with and that person that particular child's got the property with massive capital growth they may get a better benefit than child b so owning them collectively means what that they would share the benefit in both properties one maybe being more higher cash flow the other one being more capital growth yeah absolutely one reason for doing a limited company um for passing on your property portfolio to let's say children um, is that they share in the pot of property so they share in all the benefit of all the properties held within that company another reason is that during your lifetime it is easier to give away small chunks of shares so for example you could create a thousand shares in the company and every year give away one or two shares um, whatever the value is that your annual exemption for inheritance tax is to your children or to a trust for your children. And then the the third one is that a company has certain tax favored uh, status for property when it's investing. And um, it may be that that company could be used as an investment vehicle and control how the shareholders, so now the children, were to behave regarding their share interest in time. For example, you mentioned earlier, let's say there's a property portfolio of five million put into a company. Um, One child wants to access the whole of their two and a half million. Okay. Um, But the other child thinks, well, it's better for these assets to hold for a while because in two years time, they're going to be worth 10 million when we come out of this recession. Mm -hmm. 
for example. And that, that scenario, you could tie into shareholders agreement, which say, well, the company can buy the shares off the exiting shareholder and will buy them for X amount within those agreements. So the company could do a purchase of own shares um, if its accounts allow it to, could raise finance to do that and buy the shareholder out. So there's lots of reasons for using a company in planning with the portfolio and how that portfolio is passed on. So stepping back a little bit to try and make maybe broad areas, do you want to just maybe elaborate from a property perspective on sort of consideration so that we've got partnerships, there's what potential for offshore, you talked about trusts there, can we just sort of touch on a few of those so people can get an idea of what is available? Obviously it'll be bespoke to the individual, that's the only thing. Okay, so generally the right 80% of people that own a property portfolio that want to pass it on for estate planning will end up being advised that they should incorporate, put it into a company right. and give the shares away. So that's 80%. There are small, it's very unlikely um, that a partnership would be a good idea. It is possible, but you can control it for a partnership agreement um, to an extent, but a company is so much better than a partnership in right. my view. So you could do similar with a partnership if you just if on that not, note, Anton. Do you want to just expand a bit because you and I have, you know, we've we've bounced off this one a few times over the years. But with partnerships, you have personality clash risks as well as one of the partners. If they get into financial challenges, bringing that risk into the partnership, that's something that does and can happen, isn't it? And most people get in because they're enthusiastic, but don't think about those implications. Yeah, this is aside from estate planning. Where you don't formalise your partnership arrangements, you expose yourself to the 1890 Partnership Act, which means that Rohan and I go into partnership. Rohan, uh, being the generous one, brings in all the uh, the money to do the partnership. Um, and then halfway through, I turn around and say, well, I'm entitled to 50% of the capital introduced to the partnership. Right. And And you would say, obviously, you're not because you didn't introduce any capital. And I say, well, we don't have a formal agreement. I'm relying on the 1890 Partnership Act. Mm. I'm entitled to 50% of that. And that, that means somebody can go ahead and collect the 50% because of that act? Yeah. I mean, this this rate, I mean, I, I've lectured a little bit. I've never touched on it in too much detail. But I've always brought this up when I've talked about asset protection and the importance of having legal agreements for partnership arrangements. But there was an investor who had 20 million portfolio and it was actually their accountant that claimed they were a partner within the 1890s. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's crazy. So, I think yeah. that's a separate topic, though. I mean, if, if Anton <laughs> would, would jump <laughs> on with us in the future. And yet, and yet in a way, it's about protection. So yeah. the, the big message jumping out here is a lot of people think, oh, let's just start a partnership. What Anton's really saying to us is think carefully about that because there's an asset protection element to this as well, i.e. you don't necessarily know enough about the other person and that there is a a potential risk element which is mitigated by the lim limited company setup mm. yeah and drawing drawing this back to estate planning where you form a partnership for a family yeah. you're exposed to similar risk if you don't formalize the partnership agreement so even when the family um, have a partnership which may be appropriate i would always prefer a company in this scenario but there are circumstances which may be personal to the individuals involved that warrants uh, a partnership as opposed to a company and where's that where that is the case there should be um, a strict agreement in place that, that details 
what each partner's interest is. And then that allows you to obviously pass on interest over time, increasing partnership shares, etc. if you wanted to do estate planning. So when, say, for example, a younger property investor starting to build their portfolio, just to re-emphasize, when should they consider even starting this? Is it before they purchase their first asset or after they purchase their first asset? Okay, so the biggest hurdle I think investors find using a limited company is the amount of gearing that you can get within a company. So that that dictates a little bit what lenders will provide, dictates a little bit what an investor on their property journey can do. So if you're starting out in the world um, of property investing and you don't have a significant amount of deposit, you will probably find it easier to take a personal mortgage and own the property yourself, maybe to live in it. And there's some tax advantage on that, but that's probably for another day. There is also, let's say you're an investor and you are able to put 25% or more down, you will get borrowing within a company. High street banks are now lending to companies, so that will normally happen. The rates might be slightly higher, but from a tax angle, you get the deduction over interest as well within a company in, in its entirety. Mm. So you've got sort of uh, pros and cons. There might be slightly higher fees with a company because you've got the obviously the accounting of the company and tax returns, et cetera, to do. But if you can start in a company, I would do so. It makes your journey a lot easier to build the portfolio within a company. The reason being, if you're not looking to take the money out of the properties immediately, you've got a lower rate of tax in the company, which means you've got compounded growth. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So the income you're generating in the company can be reinvested. And the effect of compound growth on anyone's portfolio is phenomenal. Mm, okay. So even as you're talking now, there'll be people going, okay, their brains are going to be asking lots of questions. So going back to some of the stuff you talked about with estate planning. So somebody starts a property portfolio, maybe it's a limited company, husband and wife, they've got kids, but it's just husband and wife at the moment. Now they're up to four, five, six properties. Is there a point where those shareholdings that we talked about that could be put in trust to the children need to be implemented sooner or because you know there'll be people in the 30s 40s 50s listening to this are there any hard and fast rules in terms of when those shares need to be set up i.e is there a point where the value of those shares is worth a lot more further down the line is it better to do it earlier i think that's what i'm trying to ask or does that not make any difference at all the growth of the company, the value of the portfolio, and when to implement that trust and those shares. So this is a difficulty that for estate planning. It will depend on the individuals involved. They may, let's say, typically, um, up to the age of 50, they will probably say, it's highly unlikely I'm going to die. I will plan for everything on my death. My lifetime planning will be to put, the comp- uh, put a company in place and hold the shares i may as i get towards 50 create a different class of shares to give to the children okay um or give to trust for the children um at 50 people are more likely to say right i need to start giving my assets away so you spent all that time building your assets and now rohan you've got to start giving them away <laughs> um, so you get to the point that you you know at 50 you start thinking well do i want to divest myself of the assets how am i going to do that Another key trigger will be when the children, if you've had children, they become adults. Because when they become adults, you think, well, they, they are more responsible. Or it might be that, let's say, your 
your daughter's had a, a string of i'm not allowing my daughter out until she's 30 but she's had a string <laughs> of relationships and she doesn't seem to you know settle down very well you might go okay that's definitely a trust situation where your son for example might actually be in a stable marriage um and there's children um coming through that marriage as well and he, you might actually turn around and say well I don't want to give it all to the son because he's doing well economically, but I do want to pass some down to the grandchildren now. Right. So those events all steer where you're going with your planning. The easiest thing is to, as I say, is to sit there for 10 or so minutes, look at your portfolio and go, well, if I wasn't here, I Mm. would want those assets to be in that pot, either protected or directly given to someone. I like, you know what, that that could be the good, great title for a book actually if i wasn't here i love that that phrase because it's putting yourself removing yourself from it and saying what would happen next if i wasn't here what would i want that where do i want that to go i'm just i'm just making a note of that title (laughs) so who's claiming that's ip to put how about we do a book together and so we talked about this in the past (laughs) if i wasn't here let's do it so right we'll hold that one and watch out for that folks just so can i ask the question just on this subject you mentioned about trusts and offshore could you just i don't i know we're not here to give advice today outside of what you're sharing but just for people that are listening offshore explain a little bit about offshore and, and the context of that for anyone yeah, listening. that has that has myths and uh, negative connotations and it's been plastered in the media for with various celebrities so i think there is a another miss myth busting potential opportunity here with offshores Okay, so the first thing to say is that non-UK domiciled people, that's people that don't originate from the UK, and that's very broad, have a different treatment uh, for using offshore structures than UK domiciled people, so people that are born here. There is generally, there is no benefit offshore structures holding UK property. So that, that will blow that myth hopefully out the window. There might be some rare circumstances it does work, but generally it doesn't work. So structures owning other assets, whether it's share portfolios, businesses, may very well work. Offshore is an exceptionally complicated area of tax. There's a huge amount of anti-avoidance legislation. So it's not for, how do you put it, it's not for the uh, modest wealth. It's for, it is for high net worth individuals. Mm-hmm. If somebody's telling you you can set up a Belize trust for 250,000, you're going to lose your money in professional fees very, very quickly. Mm. With Offshore structuring, um, talked about anti-avoidance legislation very briefly, but there is also something called offshore criminal offence in the UK. So if you do do offshore planning and you don't put, you don't do it right and you don't declare the income on your tax return that you should have done, for example, um, then you face the offshore criminal offence. That is an offence. It doesn't require proving an intent to defraud um, the inland revenue or HMRC. It just requires uh, proving that you didn't put something on your return and can result into um, up to 53 weeks of imprisonment. So there is, that's that's on a cheerful note, but there is, what I'm trying to say is that <laughs> offshore, offshore structuring is for people that have significant amount of wealth and are generally non-domiciled and non-UK domiciled. UK people can do offshore structuring, but it's going to be a lot more expensive to get it right. Um, And there's a lot of risk associated with it. So you do need to get it absolutely right. Mm, Okay, that's that's a nice summary, because I think for 
you hear it murmured a lot over the years i've heard it even when i'm doing my property events and i just i just shake my head and said go take advice on it because i won't talk yeah. into that subject what's interesting well is somebody who's who's just come to learn that they, they don't own any assets i know they're already, already having a conversation up. with you about offshore trust and it just shows how we how the media or whatever the kind of reading material out there is there which is not necessarily reliable or from an expert uh, can just leave some sort of imprint or possibly movies you know these kind of things are spoken about in movies and netflix series and <laughs> offshore accounts and all this uh, which seems cool but it's actually you know we're, we're having a conversation with people who may not even have bought their first house about an offshore trust which is crazy so so well that and uh, rowan anton that's a what typical property investors can do can I ask one uh, question in that subject just i know you're going to probably jump on a little bit more harms but yeah this is this is actually quite important to me as well is so anton if if somebody's a uk base but has an international investor as a business partner i.e you've got a limited company set up in the uk and i know several people that have done this what type of conversation should be being had with your business partner i.e you know you're based here you're a director you've got an international director of the company as well you owe properties in that asset in that company what type of planning could be considered and conversations could take place there i'm also thinking also for people that are listening that maybe have joint venture partnerships going on as well Right. So normally where you have a joint venture in a property, you would want some legal agreement. That means it's either going to be a partnership or it's going to be a company. I would say normally with JVs, if it's a rolling um, process, it might be for a company. The overseas investor, how they invest and whether they have direct ownership or whether they use an offshore structure to own. For example, if I originate from outside the UK, I'm living outside the UK, um, but I own shares in a UK company, those shares could be UK cited under the terms of a double taxation agreement right. with with the country you live in. And those shares could be exposed to UK inheritance tax. So going back to um, estate planning here, if the investor wanted to protect from inheritance tax in the UK, they could then set up a, an offshore structure to hold those shares. Yeah. Um, the the risk to that person is is literally where they're resident, where they live, what the tax jurisdiction in that country allows them to do. So wow. if you were to look at, uh, to give an illustration, if you were to look at um, certain jurisdictions in Europe, they don't recognise trusts or they try to look through trust. So in that scenario, you might use something um, like a foundation or just maybe a simple offshore company. Mm-hmm. Um I guess the answer to the for the investor is uh, knowing the double taxation agreement between yeah. the UK and the overseas is probably the key starting point to understanding how you can structure your investment. Right, but and, and then in terms of long term life planning, uh, the same conversations have to take place if if you're owning properties with somebody else, and you're not husband and wife or boyfriend boyfriend girlfriend girlfriend whatever it is but it's a non-family member in that limited company and there's five six seven properties owned both directors of the company have their own kids the same conversations we've been talking about still have to take place i.e do we split them you know do we try and find similar properties inside the company and, and you take half and i take half or are they shared through a share ownership? I mean, that that gets more complicated, actually, doesn't it, when there's two directors that have got families that are not family members themselves? Yeah, it, it definitely does complicate it. It's probably also on the international investor, it's probably men- worth mentioning one more thing, which is um, if you invest in 
let's say I invest both here in the UK and I invest overseas. Right. And let's say I draft a will for the for the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, that will also controls how the assets are dealt with um, that I hold overseas. Okay. So n- normally you have to draft a will in that country where you're investing in order to direct how those assets are treated if you don't hold it within a structure. Okay, so this is getting a bit more complicated. But if that's the case, um, you hold assets overseas. And let's say I drafted a will in the UK in 2000 for my uh, UK assets. Yeah. And in two, 2020, I draft a new will to manage my overseas assets. If that will that I drafted doesn't specify it's only in relation to the assets in that country, I've just overwritten my UK will as well. Okay, wow. Wow, so, wow. How many people fall into that trap? I mean, uh, that... quite quite a lot. If you think right. about the amount of UK people that own property yeah. in Portugal yeah, yeah. or Spain. So, in the process of doing the 2020 will, there needs to be a conversation with whoever's helping them draft that to say, you know, what's your previous will? What else do you own? And do you own stuff overseas? It's the whole combination, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is. A lot to consider. I mean, I'm conscious of time. Harms, you wanted to ask a question. Well, really, I want now to just just to look at the difference or whether it's a difference or what, because we've spoken about property investors. But I want to just quickly briefly ask Anton, whilst we've got him here, about uh, a business owner. So imagine they don't have necessarily a property portfolio or that's not their business, but they they have a another type of business, like a typical business which falls in a particular kind of structure. What what's the difference there? What does a business owner have to consider when doing their lifetime planning? Let's just do uh, an illustration of a, a UK resident domiciled business owner. Let's say they have a trading company and they want to get assets into an environment that is tax efficient and has control over their assets yeah. uh, for, their, for their children. So what typically a business owner can do is they can transfer their business into a trust, which qualifies for business property relief. And they can buy the business back out of the trust, which allows the trust then to hold cash. There's no inheritance tax on setting up the trust. Mm. Um, And it allows that trust then to hold cash and invest for the children. So that's just one potential piece of planning. Um, Whereas it's qualify for business property relief, there's up to 100% exemption for inheritance tax. So when someone's getting on later in life, Um, And they're starting to think about managing their assets for inheritance tax purposes, investing in assets that qualify for BPR, business property relief, or for APR, agricultural property relief, um, is quite important. And just to pick some stocks in AIM, for example, um, so the alternative investment market qualifies as business property relief. You can get diversified portfolios managed now that are um, if you look at them, they, they are considered higher risk because they're stocks and shares, but because they are so diversified, if you look at past performance, subject to things like COVID, those those shares and stocks and portfolios have done reasonably well. If you're looking at it from an IHT point of view, you've got to lose the value of IHT, which is 40% of whatever you invest to um, make it not worthwhile doing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Now, Property investors love properties because it's something tangible, it's something they can hug. So that might be um, more akin to doing something like furnished holiday lettings. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Which, mm. which again, quite can qualify for business property relief. It's thinking about what you invest in and when, and 
if you can transfer your assets to something that qualifies for business property relief and say you can get outside inheritance tax. So the nature of the business plays out here. This comes down to a conversation, doesn't it? It's, it needs to be sat down, mapped out. What do you, I've got properties here. I've got this particular type of business here. I own these things as well, whether it's a car or jewellery, whatever. It's laying everything out on paper and then deciding, as you said, where do I want this to go? And also, and during my life, how can I be tax efficient as well? Not just towards the end for my kids, but also whilst I'm alive as well. Yeah, absolutely. Whew, lot to lot to process there. Harms, do you want to do a, a summary of what we've covered? I think you're always wow, very good that, at that. That's fantastic. <laughs> so I just want to thank Anton as well for moving on to the final part of the podcast for downloading and answering our questions because many of these questions uh, weren't prepared. We've just fired them at Anton uh, yeah, ad yeah. hoc. Uh, so thank you for answering those. So really we're focusing on look understanding not only where we are in the current climate in the situation, but to start and encourage you to have the conversation around estate planning. And in order to do that, Anton's answered a handful of questions which have really been focused around what is estate planning as number one? Uh, how do we actually bridge the conversation? How does my generation bridge the conversation with maybe our parents? Maybe how do we bridge the conversation with a spouse? And if we don't do that, we answered a question on why is estate planning important? And if we don't do estate planning, what's what's the big consequences? What's the impact of not doing it? That's all been discussed today as well. And finally, we spoke about what can a typical property investor do? And also what can a typical business owner do? And with everything today, look, we're just bringing to your awareness. I'd be lucky to have Anton come and speak in this subject because he's an expert. But with everything, please go and seek our expert advice on this. We're, we're really just talking about scenarios, elements, consequences, impacts, because we really want people to act on this. Otherwise, look, we've discussed the challenges that you may face. So that's very much what we've spoken about today. And so, Ro, that's a summary. And Can, can I just jump in and add, add yeah. one last question? Because I know we maybe try and get some some actions out of you, Anton, yeah. as well. We always like to finish the podcast with what could be some proactive actions that people can take off the back of this. But just I'm going to preempt this and say, imagine somebody was coming to see you. What sort of information would they need to collate to sit with a specialist? I mean, granted, it might not be you, but let's say in this example, it is. And we'll give out your details at the end if people do want to contact you. But what should they be putting together uh, to prepare for a meeting like that? Yeah, I think... Um... A list of assets is obviously um, the most important. A list of assets, a list of income, whether they have um, any insurance policies, how they hold those assets. So, for example, whether it's through pensions and uh, companies, etc. So that's the most important thing. The rest of it, really, if you're talking to an expert, you have a fluid conversation, which right. will, will have prying questions. I think it's really useful to do that that meeting that conversation or nowadays under covid i guess uh, either skype or microsoft teams or something like that where you have that discussion so you get a feel for the client's appetite of what they want to do you will often as an advisor say well there's two options they could go down but you appreciate that this client would prefer the safer option the lower mm -hmm. risk option or the, or the yeah. easier to understand option so I've just made a list of those as well. This is going to come up on our show notes for those of you listening that thinking I didn't catch all that. So it will be captured later. Um, I'm going to swing back to Harms again because he's always good, very good at wrapping up with the action section. Absolutely. On our, on our so, so Anton, 
before we uh, let people know where they can find you, what what would you like to leave the listeners with? You know, maybe if there's a handful of things, some next steps. I know we spoke about number one, but maybe you could repeat that again. But what are the real key core steps that listeners at home can take? Yeah, so the first one is identify... I guess, your assets and where today and in the future you would like those assets, that wealth to go. That's the most important. Um, I then think it's quite good that, you know, you've heard me speak on various different things through this. Have a stab at listing the potential strategies. Have a stab at saying, well, it needs to go into a limited company or it needs to go into a partnership or, yay, offshore trust. And then put a put a an active plan in place. It's the one thing that, you know, we all talk about to people that we present to. The most important thing is to take action. So put a timescale on it. When are you going to do something? What's the first step you're going to do to implement one of those potential strategies? Or is it talk to an advisor and then implement your potential strategy? Um, I think the fourth takeaway, and it sounds awful, but don't feel miserable about it, but expect to die. Everybody does. It's going to happen. So (laughs) yeah, you might as well you might as well embrace the concept and, and yeah. plan plan accordingly. And the final one, which I think has come out uh, through the conversation today, is expect your beneficiaries, expect the people that are receiving something of your estate, not to behave. Um, <laughs> as I said, funerals and weddings is when people fall out. So don't leave your planning to your death. On that note, I often talk about the fact that in our minds, uh, when I'm doing work with people, we have this movie script that we we want it to look. This is how the movie look, needs to look. But when you actually run your life, everybody's script is different to the one that you wrote in your movie script. <laughs> um, and I think that's what happens very much here under the pressure and the stress of, of, of a death. Yeah. But also not just a death. I mean, look what's happening at the moment in the current situation. Um, you know, we're all being subject to it in different ways and it does reflect on how we behave. So COVID's really magnified, I think, a lot of people's behavioural patterns under a lot of pressure, whether it's financial pressure or, or you know, family deaths, illness, etc. Absolutely. OK, so finally, to wrap up, Anton, uh, would you would you please share with the listeners very simply, where can they find you? And for listeners at home, all of this information that Anton shared now, plus everything we've spoken about, will be in the show notes. So any links, websites, social media accounts. And also, I believe you've got a free gift to share with us that will also be in the show notes. So, Anton, uh, over to you. Yeah, so you can find me quite easily. You can Google my name um, and I come up on a number of pages. But the business is called Edge Tax. Our website is www.edge-tax.com. The office numbers are diverted to our mobiles currently, but the number is 01454 Or you can email, and if I give you the info at edge-tax.com email address, then I or a number of other advisors can pick up any queries. Fantastic. And which... I mentioned a free gift because uh, you, you gave us an option of things that may be beneficial to the listeners. We can decide that post call uh, unless you've got something in mind we'll also put that up on i'm thinking maybe something around the topic of wills because that was discussed in particular today yeah where i can put a guide up on becoming seriously ill which is not very cheerful but also on wills as well that would be fantastic actually because it just it gives and also it could be a document that somebody wants to pass on to a family member uh, and sometimes that's another way to get the message over rather than ourselves trying to explain it to a parent or a a child yeah hey i read this or i've listened to this podcast yeah, yeah, it's a exactly. great document that came off it maybe you maybe you're interested in reading it as well so and it comes from an expert's voice then 
So, well, any final comments? Well, or... I mean, look, there's so many subjects that came up today. I was going to ask Anton, look, there was yeah. a few things that came out in the conversation. Would you be up for coming in on a future podcast and maybe tackling a different subject, maybe one that's not so around death and uh, the current situation? <laughs> but but I know, you know, you're in a field where often you're having to deal with things that are challenging. And I'd much rather we preempt those with people. So are you up for coming back on again? Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. Huge amount of content. Lots, I think there'll be people rewinding and pressing play again on many sections of this. So thank you for taking yeah. the time to come in. And absolutely. And, and Anton, before before you, we finally sign, sign off, is there a final message on estate planning, life planning that you can just leave the listeners with or you would like to leave the listeners with? It can be a short message. It can be, but it's up to you. If you can just leave a message with the listeners who are listening at home and then I will sign us off. I can't think of anything. <laughs> <laughs> I put you on the spot. I, um, I've managed to answer all those questions off the top of my head. And I can't think of anything. That's fantastic. Because one of the things that's really uh, jumped out at me was, you know, managing the, the way to think about this is managing the efficient passing of wealth. And I think that's a, a lot nicer way to yes. talk about death. So that's totally fine. It's, I, I've thrown that a curveball question at you. But I think if listeners take, that that's what i've taken away massively from this conversation so thank you uh, from myself as well yeah so that's myself ro and anton signing off we'll see you on the next episode of the growth tribes podcast remember everything we spoke about today will be on growthtribes.com forward slash podcast hello it's dr ro here harms and i would both like to personally thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of growth tribes and if you've gained just one insight, something positive that you're able to use on a personal level, on a professional level, to help your life, maybe even other people's lives, then we'd love it if you could take action on one of the following things. You can either simply subscribe so you don't miss out on any other great insights coming up in the future. You can share this podcast with close friends so they can also get the benefits of the tips and tools that we're sharing. Or it would be amazing if you could give us a review and let others know just how great this episode was. And finally, if you do have a question, don't forget to submit it on growthtribes.com forward slash podcast. Thank you again for listening. This is Dr. Rowan Harm signing out and we'll see you again on the next podcast. Yeah.